Hello and welcome to this episode of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. I am Lee Carlo, as always, joined by Chapin Hemingway and Jeremy Fisk. This week, for the first time ever, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, we're reviewing an animated film on the podcast, Pixar's Soul, directed by Pete Docter and co-directed and written by Kemp Powers. We'll talk a little bit more about him later. After we review the film, I think we're going to yet again have some more discussions on the streaming versus theatrical released films, where things stand, our feelings on it, uh, now that we have the trial run with Wonder Woman 80, uh, 1984 in the books, we'll talk about what that's going to look like moving forward. Music is all I think about. From the moment I wake up in the morning to the moment I fall asleep at night. I was born to play. It's my reason for living. Hello? What the... This weed, it counts off. There's a soul missing. Is this heaven? No. Is it H E double hockey sticks? Hell, hell, hell. Quiet coyotes. <laughs> no, it's the great before. This is where new souls get their personalities, quirks, and interest before they go to Earth. Here we are. Don't worry, you can't crush a soul here. That's what life on Earth is for. All right, this episode is brought to you by Ollivander's Wand Shop. Doing business in its original Diagon Alley location since 382 BC, Ollivander's Wand Shop has consistently ranked among the best wand makers in the wizarding world. I think you accidentally said wine shop there. Well, they're good at that too. I mean, you got a good wand, you can make wine. <laughs> For better or worse, the most powerful wands ever made have been purchased by Garrick Ollivander. If you don't know what I'm talking about, well, you might be a muggle. Guys, Pixar has the reputation... For making movies that are simultaneously for both kids and adults. Uh, obviously, and historically, animated movies have been targeted towards children. Um, and that conception has sort of stuck even even now, I think to a certain extent. Uh, starting in 1995, though, with Toy Story and for the 25 years since, Pixar has produced films that are, have tried to break that mold. Uh, they're basically trying to make G or PG movies that include jokes, ideas, or themes that adults can relate to and enjoy. Uh, as a result, at times, some of their movies can be a bit dark. I'm thinking specifically of things like the opening scenes of Up. Um, Soul, their newest film, is about a man named Joe, who, after getting his big musical break, dies suddenly. And then he ends up in the role of a mentor to a troubled soul that's called 22 that has never been able to find that final spark needed to go to Earth and enter somebody's body. Through these two characters, voiced by Jamie Foxx and Tina Fey, the movie explores ideas of purpose, ambitions, our relationships. It really kind of runs the gamut of emotions to the point where 
I started to question if this is the first Pixar film that has completely tipped the scale. So we aren't kids anymore, but we do have kids. And I think you guys as kids are probably still too young. Even mine might be, but we can, we have an idea of what might work for them and what might be funny. I, I mean, I'm often surprised at some of the things that Miles finds funny, but either way, I think we have an idea of how certain movies can relate to children. Um, and then obviously as adults, we know, but how did you guys feel about the balance of this movie in that regard? Does it fit into the Pixar mold of a movie for children and adults? I mean, I, I definitely think so. I'm always in awe of just Pixar's batting record too. Like I, I that's the thing I don't understand. Batting how, average. A batting average. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. I like sports. <laughs> thing is i do like sports um just how good they are at picking the right stories the right directors the right people to produce them and getting good material and good a good final product 95 percent of the time do you know how insanely difficult that is if any other production company was like all right what we're gonna do is we're just gonna make only good movies and i'm sure a lot of them say that I would say I would say the batting average is at best fifty fifty. Do you mean whereas here 50, 50 you're looking at good good and bad or fifty fifty adult versus child? No, good no, and bad. Saying I'm saying good and bad. Good and bad. Yeah. Oh, I think, the, oh, I think they're I think it's um it's oh you mean other studios, not Pixar. Other Pixar studios, like, just oh, say yeah. yeah if, welcome to the podcast. Sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, We're off other, to a great start. Other studios basically, if they could only do what. Pixar does as far as just producing good quality uh, movies. And I don't know how they do it, and maybe we can get into that a little bit. But uh, to answer your question, Lee, yeah, absolutely, it balances that line, and that's what they're so good at. What do you think, Chapin? I, I agree. I mean, I, I don't I don't know. This, this movie didn't felt... It only felt childlike in the sense that it was animated and, you know, featured kind of... I don't know, like sort of infantile subject matter in a way, but not really. I mean, this is kind of the stuff that like deep. Yeah. Deep stuff. Um, it's directed well, by the same guy who did inside out, which you mentioned, Lee, I guess I should have made the connection when you brought that up, but I, I, I haven't seen that film. I know you have, um, but I heard from what I, I was intrigued when I heard about inside out because people were sort of describing it much as I, you know, absorb this film as kind of like a you know an animated version of like an emotional journey for a child or something like that and i was like what 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 has happened to pixar that they're now making movies like this um what has happened in a good well, or bad way well, well this is this is, is my way, point that, and and chapin it actually sounds like maybe you disagree with jeremy like i my point is that while typically they have a great balance as as movies for kids and movies for, uh, for adults, but this movie is for adults. I think there's very little I, I here for kids. I don't think so. I think kids can follow it. That's the thing. It's like kids can follow it, and they can be entertained by the music. They can be entertained by the caricatures. I mean, it is really deep subject matter of life and death and afterlife, and if you've lived a good life and your soul. Like obviously, those are deep and and adult themes. But I think uh, a young child following it will understand 
the plot and also be entertained by the look of the animation and a lot by the music and the feel of the music and being able to, I mean, that's the other thing this movie does well. It, it, it transports you into a music lover's mind really well. And that's really interesting. And I think kids will get that. I think the best, you know, the, the best like children's books, I, I don't think there was a, an equivalent to Pixar when we were younger. Maybe, maybe there was, but the best like children's books were ones that you could, that kind of explained adult themes in these very um, childlike ways, you know, and, and very simple, not, not just simple, but also just kind of, you know, uh, I mean, this is not a very descriptive term, but like a nice way. Right. Um, I mean, I'm thinking of, the giver, for example, which I know you and I, Jeremy had some interaction with when it was at Walden media. And, um, but I, like when I think of soul, I'm thinking of that scene where, uh, essentially this, they go into the afterlife and, 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 and eventually Jamie Foxx's character understands that when he is inspired and in the moments when he's playing piano or playing music, he goes into this, realm of inspiration like you know just kind of letting everything take over you and, and you know for especially for creative people i guess we understand what that's like and i'm sure a lot of adults understand what that's like but a kid might not know that i mean a kid go coloring for an hour and, and wrapped in their imagination they just they don't they don't really have an analytical sense of that but this movie provides like a visual representation of that and i think like if i were a kid i would hope that i would remember and if i saw soul at a young age i would hope that i would remember that and then when i you know first became aware of that sort of mental space i headspace i was in i would be like oh yeah this is what they were talking about from soul it's like a it's very um sort of tangible representation of kind of a ethereal prop. state of flow yeah yeah, and it's it's really incredible what this movie does and several other Pixar movies do in their ability to illustrate, obviously literally, but also figuratively, the incomprehensible. Mm. Because if you this movie is about how souls are developed before they're put into a body. Right. It also deals with you know conversations regarding the afterlife and a whole everything in between and that some of that stuff in particular you know the development of your soul is is incomprehensible there is no image in our mind for what that looks like until now and it's amazing how well pete doctor is able to tell that story it's it's incredible storytelling and if you really think about it this the plot of this movie the synopsis is actually pretty complicated there's a lot to go a lot going on here but it is laid out so simply and and it's very very easy to follow i it was uh, by coincidence i i rewatched tenet the same night that i watched this and <laughs> i don't know nolan nolan could learn a lesson or two from doctor about how to dumb down a complicated plot for for a wider audience here because while we're not dealing with quite as complicated a subject matter as is uh i, I can reverse almost entropy, argue it's more more it's, complicated it, it, it is an incomprehensible uh concept i guess so 
it, it was just expertly done. Now, that doesn't take away from the, my point, my initial point, that I, I found very little in this movie that would be enjoyable for a kid. Now, mm. I think I think a kid could understand it and could learn something from it, but you know, is a five year old going to leave this movie being like it was funny seeing a talking cat? That's a good point. You know, I, I'm looking at their Probably. the Pixar the Pixar um, filmography, and they did Ratatouille and Wall-E back-to-back. And I remember that was probably the time in my life I was most interested in Pixar movies. Ratatouille, Wall-E, and Up all in mm-hmm. about two years, three years. And I think those are all great movies. I love Ratatouille the most. And I think Ratatouille, if you compare it to, like, Wall-E, is a movie full of, like, characters and and a talking rat and someone who can, you know, they're running around the kitchen and there's all this physical humor. And there's a little bit of that in, uh, in soul. Um, but you know, Wally and up are a little more contemplative They you know, they, they don't have like, I mean, there's the funny kid in, in up, but in Wally it's, you know, there's sort of, it's a little more, it's, you know, you don't have those like typical tropes of, um, of, Character, so I see what you're saying there. I, I, I would argue, I would argue, Wally is that movie where it may be hard to grasp for, especially younger kids. Whereas I think this, yeah, but film, Wally has Wally's got like fat people playing with like remote control things. Yeah, this has and a talking cat and cool little bubbly ghosts like Casper. And sure, I, I'm not saying it's completely absent of it. Like I just your think argument is, it's got fat people. But, <laughs> yeah, little kids will laugh at that. <laughs> I I just think, little by little, I think Pixar... I don't know if that's actually true. I was going to say they've gotten more and more adult-themed and serious, but that's not true. It's really, I just think that they're... The balance is tipping towards more of an adult movie than it is a kid's movie. I think they're relying on the animation I mean, to draw the kid's like, crowd, and they have a message that kids can comprehend, away. but... Yeah, they they've I mean they've doubled down on sequels. It seems like lately since that era I just described, there was no sequel except for Toy Story two. Um, but now, but you know they released two original films this year. So what I think what I think is amazing about them, and I think it goes to my point of their batting average, is they. It, I don't think it's necessarily one person sort of going through all these scripts and deciding like. And, and just having this really keen eye, I think it's hiring a handful of people yeah. that are really good at this sort of thing and to keep having them do it over and over again. Like Pete Doctor, for example. I mean, his first movie was November November of 2001 when Monsters, Inc. came out. I mean, that's how long Well, he was working, working with, with Pixar longer Pixar. than that, I think, even. I thought, that well, was the first not. time he directed. Yeah, he, movie. He was a writer on Toy Story. Like, yeah, so, I, I think, mean, Pete Doctor... Gulp, John Lasseter, and Andrew Stanton are like the three staples of Pixar. Obviously, Lasseter's not with with them anymore. Um, oh, he did he end up his, leaving? Uh, so he took a sabbatical, and then I think they kind of agreed to part ways. Um, but yeah, it's it's a core group of of creators that you know have had clearly have a consistent vision of what these movies are going to be. And I think that drives the success. We talked a little bit about it last week when we were talking about what Kevin Feige does with Marvels, whether you like those movies or, what, movies I think or this not. I far more impressive than the Marvel. And I know that people reference that and say, <clears throat> oh, somebody kept this all together. But I think this is it's far a diff- more. 
Well, it's a different thing. I, yeah. I, I make the comparison because it's basically, it's a consistent voice. You know, it's like a head coach that you, you've had for your team for 20 years. Like you have a consistency there where if you're changing coaches every two years, you just, you lose the system and, and it just doesn't function as well. And Pixar has that. And, and Pete Doctor, I think, is the chief creative officer for them now. So, you know, he has final say on the decisions uh, creatively. And that, that makes a big difference. Um, okay, guys. So, obviously, I mean, it sounds like we all liked this movie. But let's talk about what we liked. Um, I love the writing. I thought the screenplay was fantastic. The structure of it. Um, the message. You know the way it navigated such a, and we've brought this up a little bit already, but navigated such an impossible area really to, to tell a story in the afterlife and sort of dealing with infinity and, 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 you know, the, the amount of people that have ever been on the planet and what, what part of life is worth living like these are really tough things to to put on on a screen, I think, even in animation. And I think they yeah found, in an hour and forty minutes. Yeah, and I think they found very interesting ways to do it. It's like those um, the like the the Terry guy that was the counter, the accountant. He's so such a good character. But like to I, I don't remember how they describe themselves, but the it's some sort of. Um, uh, not philosophical, but um, I don't know, mathematical equation that they put into somewhat of human form so that people have an idea of how to interact with them. Like, it's, it's figuring that stuff out that I think is just so creative and smart and genius on their part. What do you think of the movie, Chapin? I, I loved it. I thought it was, I, I thought it was gorgeous. And so I, I will say, the I thought the rendering of the real the quote unquote the real world um, was just spectacular. Bradford Young was the they they often hire on these um, movies like really famous cinematographers to be like lighting consultants, and Bradford Young was the lighting consultant on this film. Such a good choice, um, and the the rendering on the real world was so beautiful and gorgeous, and I mean almost realistic looking. Like if you. The animation is incredible. If you look, there would be times when you would like look down a corridor of the hospital, for example, um, and uh, before a character would enter, it would look like a real, yeah, beautifully yep. decorated, uh, real set. Um, then when you, I, you know, so I was a little disappointed when we went into the afterlife world, uh, but that one also was just kind of like, I mean, it wasn't quite as sort of innately beautiful but it was so well designed and and interesting to look at and sort of conceptual in a very easy to understand way like the cutting of the sand out of the out of that area where the lost souls are and that kind of like they're all sand and it's black sand and the the um the terry characters the characters who are running there are all these sort of like two-dimensional um kind of like almost neon beings and that was just also really cool and i just it's amazing how this sort of the story and the design especially in these movies which i think take like years and years and years to like write you know conceptualize and you know eventually render out how they just gel so well 
together. Like you've got these thematic elements that the film obviously in screenplay form is discussing. And then you mix those with this like design sense that totally works for that. And I, you know, I'd be curious to see if like how much, the screenplays inform the design elements. I don't know how much they do, but you know, in, in a lot of these Pixar movies, you've got the director being a co-writer and this is one of the, one of the cases of that. Um, yeah. I think they, I think the screenplay has to be a really a blueprint because like you said, if it's over years to not lose your way during that whole time, you have to have some sort of frame of reference that is, is sort of chiseled into stone and I think that must be it. Must be the screenplay. I have a question for you guys. Um, well, let's actually uh, let's discuss it afterwards. Sorry, go ahead. Well, my what you mentioned, Chapin, about the the conceptualizing of this world that that was my favorite part of this movie. I and I mentioned to you guys Inside Out. I wish you had seen it um, because it's very similar. In that movie, you're dealing with emotions and kind of how the brain works and how your emotions that are characterized in the film kind of control how the human behaves. And this movie deals more with the soul in that regard, but either way, it's, it's the incomprehensible. It's something that we don't have a visual visual representation for. And these movies do such an amazing job at that. And inside out, there's these little balls that serve as memories and the color of the ball represents what kind of a memory it is. It's just such a quick and easy way to to see what that is articulating the inarticulate i yep. think mm. and and it. i love that's my my <laughs> that's my favorite part of this movie uh i have to say i think i probably liked it less than you guys now that isn't to say i dislike this movie by any means i i thought that joe in 22 uh joe is voiced by jimmy fox in 22 represents the 22nd soul uh suggesting that she has been there for thousands of years, unable to uh, get that final spark to go down to Earth. Uh, I found those two characters to be some of my least favorite Pixar characters. Mm. I, I, I just, I didn't, I don't want to say I didn't care about what happened to them, but I just didn't really connect to them quite as much as I would have liked to. I didn't find their chemistry to be all that great. I didn't think it was bad, but if you think about some of the relationships in in Pixar movies in the past I don't think it compares you know Buzz and Woody Wally and Eve uh you know whatever it may be the the um I can't remember the characters names in Monsters Inc um but John Goodman and Billy Crystal it it, it wasn't on that level and I think that knocked this movie down a peg for me um what is your guys's I'm ashamed to say that the chronologically the last Pixar movie I saw before this one was ooh, might have been up in 2009 I don't think I've oh, seen wow. anything since then I think uh, I'm probably with you so I didn't see a lot of those are sequels and I didn't see inside what? out and that's the thing is like I, I well, just, and Coco too Coco's great I heard yeah look Coco I heard is awesome I just I don't know I I shy away from these movies and I'm not sure why I mean I like I didn't see Incredibles two but or Cars three but I've seen man I have seen I think I've only not seen like four of these movies somehow <laughs> I don't know when I'm seeing these I haven't seen a lot of the sequels I didn't see yeah. Monsters University I didn't see Cars three Incredibles two 
and Onward, well, which came out one this of year. The toys, I know. You've, I know. Toy Story Four was uh, you demanded be number ten on the on your fixie no, list. No, you guys year. demanded I have ten, so it. <laughs> um, but as I recall, I believe it was Toy Story Three came out, and it was maybe it was sort of the beginning of this. Uh, Pixar makes more sort of serious films, but I believe the plot of that film was kind of unique in the sense that it was pretty dark, wasn't it? Or maybe yeah, I think, well, things got dark towards the end of Toy Story three. Okay, but that began with, I mean, I think the the intensity of the thematic elements began with the opening of Up. Right, uh, I think right. that's where they turned a corner. Right, because even if it was dealing with serious subject matters leading up to that, it was it was all relatively harmless. And I don't know, Wally. I, I still argue Wally is that. I, I mean, it's dealing with the end of the world and people's, um, you know, uh, ability to j- just not care. Right. I agree, that, but that it's a broader picture. Is I don't awful. It, it's a broader picture in Wally. In Up, you deal with a specific moment that gets that's uh, you know more serious. Toy Story Three, you deal with a, a, a few specific scenes where. Things start to get darker, but yeah, anyway, we can go back and forth on which movie you know did that. But regardless, they've. I mean, even. I mean, we can go back to Toy Story. I mean, Toy Story has some, you know, <laughs> has some like kid that reassemble that buys toys so he can tear them apart and reassemble them to attack other toys. I mean, you can read into that however you'd like, but um, where were we? The do you guys? How do you guys feel about these two characters? I, I feel like we didn't. I didn't I, get your. I like them. I was a little that. distracted initially by the celebrity voices, which I guess it's been a while since I've seen any of these. But you know, my favorite Pixar Ratatouille has some. At, at least the main characters are like at the time. I don't think I knew Patton Oswalt that well, um, and then some of the other actors are, I think, more voice actors, and I, I found it a little distracting. It, to have Jamie hmm. Foxx and um, Tina Fey especially be those characters. I think I eventually warmed to Jamie Foxx. I wasn't crazy about Tina Fey. I mean, I thought, I she, weirdly, was, I thought she was fine, I, but like, I, it was just it was just a little bit distracting. Hmm. But at the end, I was just, I was kind of, didn't matter anymore. I was. I had to look up who that was, who 22 was. I'm like, oh. I recognize that voice, but. Well, as, I, as soon I, as you know it, you can't. Yeah, once you it, know but, it, but. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't. I didn't find that a distraction at all, and I really like the character of Joe. I think I thought. Me too. Uh, I thought Jimmy Fox did a, a great job with it. By yeah, the way. and it's yeah. such a well-written, well-rounded character. I really like that character. Um, the character of Twenty Two. I don't know how much like it. It, it reminded me a lot of um, Dory from from uh, right. Okay. Finding sure. Nemo. Like it was sort of the fun, uh, fun side character that was there for the laughs for the most part. Um, but obviously, you know, there's the, you know, even in finding Nemo, finding Nemo in this movie, you know, those characters still, uh, have their moments to tug at the heartstrings. So I think it balanced that well, but I, I would tend to agree with you, Lee, in general, that maybe if there was any flaws to this movie, it was that relationship, not necessarily those characters, but that relationship mm. and the way they interacted together—that's interesting. Yeah, I, 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 I don't, I don't disagree. I mean, I think, I think my, 
my really appreciation for this film really was in the sort of the rendering of the concepts, conceptual rendering. I Me just too. thought was so clever. And I mean, I, again, like, and maybe you guys can help me understand it in a later psychological exploration of my mind uh, on a, on the podcast. I'm sure people would love to hear that. Um, but why I, I, I just shy away from animation so much. If I really honestly feel badly about it, I just, I have trouble. Like, I just don't like, I just don't want to watch these movies, but whenever I do, I, I feel like it's a great, I feel like I have a great time. I mean, I don't know that I'm going to go back and like watch soul over and over again. I feel like you kind of get it when you watch it, but um, a lot, I mean, you know, Ratatouille, I'd love to, I love that movie. I would love to watch, um, Wally again. I mean, these, I, 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 I would explore these more, but you know, like, I, I don't know. I, I, it just doesn't, it doesn't well, feel adult to me, but I, I mean, obviously I'm wrong. Well, I, that was I the point I brought up. My... I mean, I, I mentioned that in my opening, I, you know, these, these movies historically animated movies historically were targeted towards children. And, and that, that, that idea has never gone away. Our initial reaction when a Pixar movie is released is that it's for kids, that it'll make money because parents will bring their kids to it. It, It's, it is ingrained in animation and that, you know, it's a hard thing to, to kick. Now, Chapin, I, I, I mean, both of you guys, I grant you, uh, freedom to skip a fiction movie and watch inside out. Um, I oh, think he it's, grants us freedom. I think oh. it's I think it's a top five Pixar movie, and you know, I grant I, you. And I really like Coco, and obviously Finding Finding Nemo is a great film. Wally is a great film, and I you know, it, it's it's interesting. Like it, Jeremy mentioned, their batting average is so good that we're at a point where we maybe a little bit take it for granted. I mean, it's we we do kind of know what we're gonna get. Like we're not getting wholly original movies anymore we're getting some original concepts and original ideas but ultimately we're we're watching some variation of the same movie over and over again you know it's a it's a relationship set in not necessarily the real world and you know one character helps another character overcome the odds to succeed in the end (laughs) but for example onward which came out right before the pandemic hit i mean it did got decent reviews a 61 on metacritic but i don't think it's quite the i mean i think that's in the five percent i would say is it that looks like kind yeah. of a silly movie like it looks like kind of a typical animation but i don't know i mean maybe not it's directed yeah. by dan scanlon who well did um lee to, to your did point monsters of like, university yeah. that's it to your that's point of of like where like not having new concepts and i, I think why like an example of why the writing in well, this they have film, new concepts. I think they just use the same basic okay, structures. the same yeah. stories or structures or whatever you want to do talk yeah. about. I mean, you can whittle anything down to like, you know, sure, yeah, right, 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 whatever. But um, like, you look at this movie, and it's such a unique idea to have this one main character who is discovering death, while another main character gets to discover life. Like, it's such a smart structural concept. And while Joe is discovering what death is, he's appreciating his life. And what 22, when 22 is discovering what life is, she gets to appreciate the fact that she will have, have that experience herself. So, I, I mean, it's, it's, 
just like it's brilliant writing i think <laughs> i i agree with you i i, I was I, I think i am impressed with the script i was less enamored with the story it told uh, well, um it'd be so, an interesting experiment for J- jeremy and i i mean we were supposed to have jeremy radar uh rankings of the uh coen movies yeah. that we did um yeah it'd be great to do that with pixar yeah, but but it'd be interesting. But maybe maybe Jeremy and I, I just haven't been keeping up, and maybe this is the quality we should expect. Uh, it is absolutely. I mean, I to me, Soul is just uh, I don't I don't know. Maybe a top fifteen. Um, what do you think is there? What what do they have? I mean, like if it is about the writing, what are they? What are they doing that everybody else isn't doing? I feel like they have some kind of insight into things that. Um, I I don't know. I I almost feel like they have some sort. There's some secret formula b- well, behind like a, a I lock think the f- safe. I think the formula is that they are making movies for children, and I don't mean that in the sense that these are all kids' movies, but I mean that in the sense that they are they have taken on the task of making movies with complicated subject matters, and dumbing them down for lack of a better word for children to understand Mm. and in doing that they make very comprehensible movies and very accessible movies and i'm I'm, i apologize for comparing it to tenet again but like my problems with tenet are that it is incomprehensible and that takes away from any other qualities that it may have whether or not one outweighs the other is is another conversation but the the convoluted nature of Tenet makes it more difficult to enjoy and Pixar avoids that as complicated as their plots may be as deep as their subject matters may be they always make sure that their concepts are are I think you nailed it I think you nailed it Lee and that's what good writing is good writing isn't just being as complicated and um, convoluted as you can be to say hey look how smart I am it's to be able to get across those sort of those themes and ideas in a simple way that still works and makes sense without boring people or people finding it too predictable. And, and that's what they're able to do so well. I would agree with that. I think, I think if you can say, and I, I have more thoughts on, on tenant whenever you guys want to talk about it, but I, I think that, you know, what got in the way of tenant and what you can ser- clearly see happening here is that the, the concept, you know, got in the way of the emotional catharsis that I think, he wanted to us to experience with that film. Um, but this, this, the concept makes us all makes, I mean, it really is the, it really is ha- helping us understand what the film is trying to say emotionally. And I think, you know, the, de- especially just how I know I've said this, but especially how it's just tied in with the design is just incredible. And I, you know, I don't, I don't know. I mean, like, again, like my favorite movie of theirs, I think is Ratatouille, but again, th- like that's set in a real world. I mean, of course there's a, there's a talking rat, but uh, you know, they don't go into another realm in that right. film. Um, and so there's sort of a limit to how, how creative you can be. But I feel like they're, and, and sort of what I gleaned from like the trailer of Coco and from Inside Out, they're creating these environments where these people can come in and, and, and generate these concepts and these um, ideas that can exist in this place that really only these animated films can exist in. And what's amazing and and Chapin, I, I you know you keep emphasizing it. And I I just want to agree. Like the rendering of this animation is just so so good. And I for whatever reason it was that first scene in the jazz club for me, 
when you see um, Doretha Williams, is that what her character's name is? Angela Bassett. Yeah. Play, playing the saxophone. And I was like, that animated character is playing a real saxophone. Like, <laughs> it How just. How do they do it? It looks. It looks stunning, and and there was a moment when her hair, like she had this kind of big bouffant of hair that would like move with her, and it would the way it moved was like so realistic. I, I just I couldn't believe it. It's it, and it makes a huge difference in in the movie you're watching because another thing that these movies all have, or at least all the really good ones have, is is something that just about everybody can relate to. You know, everybody has a soul. At one time or another, everybody has wondered how their, you know, how their emotions and thoughts and purpose in life were developed. And, and you know, Finding Nemo, like everybody, you know, has a relationship like, you know, w- with a child or with a parent. And uh, Toy Story, you know, best two best friends. And then, or if you want to look at it from the point of view where we all, once, a time, amount of time, once upon a time, had toys and we wondered, you know, what they did when we weren't there. So it's all their movies are so relatable and they go into different worlds at times. They, they, they deal with the, the fantastical, but the authenticity of that animation brings everything back to reality for you. And it just grounds the movies in a way that's makes them. So uh, another piece that makes them so accessible for a wide audience. Yeah, no, I think that's a, a, a very good way of putting it. But and that, and that's I, I also, I want to emphasize how difficult that is. That's, that is not easy to do, to take universal themes and put them into art like this. That is both entertaining and smart, and it works for a broad audience. It's, it's nearly impossible. You know what else was killer about this movie? The score. Yeah, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. <laughs> I yeah. mean, these guys since They'll the social anything, network. Huh? Oh, give me some money, I'll do oh, it. I picked it up as soon as I heard it. I looked it up. I, I'm like, this sounds like uh, Trent Reznor, and and it's interesting because not that your composer is necessarily uh, representative of the type of movie you're making, but this is a this is a guy that that uh, composes David Fincher films, <laughs> and Pixar is like. I have an idea. Let's grab him for our for our adult themed movie. It makes sense. Adult I mean, themed. that doesn't the, sound right. The, the two of them, the two of them really <laughs> sort that. of stretched their creative muscles on the Mank. I mean, Mank didn't sound a lot. like... Mank was different. Yeah, yeah. It, you you wouldn't have known that, but um, but yeah, this had a. I mean, this score even sounded a lot like some of the beats in in the Social Network specifically. Do you guys um, um do you guys feel at all the way I feel? I, do, I mean, I, obviously, Lee, you don't because you've watched a lot of them. But I mean, do you guys do you guys kind of know what I mean when you're you? Yeah, it doesn't jump to the front of like this is going to be my most anticipated movie of no, the year. It, nor do it, it doesn't for me either. It's never on the top of my list of movies I want to see in a given year. But and and look, like it, they're rarely my favorite movies of the year either. But like we said, like they're all you know, great movies, very good, at least, for a lot of the same reasons. So while you know what you're going to get with a Pixar movie, oftentimes it's you're going to get something good. So, you know, uh, you know, I, I, I think, you know, when I say I'm giving you guys per, uh, permission to, to pause your fixie movie watching to go watch a 2015 animated movie, I'm just saying that to emphasize how good Inside Out is, not necessarily to say it's going to be one of your favorite movies ever. 
Um, but for me, you know, we're we're praising Pixar here, and I think it's at least a top five Pixar movie. So, um, and it just has a lot of similarities to Soul, uh, which I think is relevant. So let's move on. Let's talk a little bit about what's been going on in the theatrical streaming world that is uh, Warner Brothers and HBO Max versus Hollywood. Um, (laughs) So just some update on news. Obviously, we had Wonder Woman 1984 released on HBO Max on Christmas. Uh, Evidently, it's done well enough for Warner Brothers to fast-track Wonder Woman 3. I know we're all really excited about that. What does that really mean, um, though? Fast track and they, they WW three. Yeah, they, they they can't fast track anything right now. It's not like they're filming a lot. Um, but obviously, that's a suggestion that the the trial of putting it on HBO Max um, day and day with theaters was successful. I think it made uh, like eighteen million domestically in in theaters. I really feel like box office numbers are just irrelevant at this point um, in in the conversation. But I, I had a little game that I thought we could play, and we, um, we don't need to include this in the pod if if it turns out that it's not interesting. But I was kind of thinking I was about the impact that we've been discussing on on just people's interest in going to the movie theaters uh, post pandemic. If if studios are starting to adopt the streaming services as places to put their movies at the same time so there's i think 16 movies that warner brothers is releasing um on hbo max at the same time as in theaters in 2021 right i think dune might be an exception now they might not release it okay so we'll skip that one but i was just going to go through these and kind of tally um how many assuming Price is not an issue, you know, in terms of the cost of a movie ticket versus staying home and assuming the pandemic is not an issue. I'll read these movies. Tell me, would you just would you see, go see this in the theater or would you just watch this at home? And I think this might give us an idea of, you know, what, what this means. So The Little Things is um, Denzel Washington crime thriller directed by John Lee Hancock. I'm not sure if you guys saw the trailer for that yet. Um Deputy into Washington plays a sheriff who's sent to Los Angeles looking for a serial killer. Theater or at home? At home. Probably feels at like home. At, but I mean, if feels like is, an at if, home. If this is the first movie we can see when we're out of the pandemic, then I'll, I'll probably go. Well, that's what I mean. Forget, just pretend for a second that. Got it. Okay. That's not an issue. We're just at deciding. Home. At home. I probably wouldn't watch it at all, to be honest. All right. Judas and the Black Messiah. Um, I'm assuming you guys have seen the trailer for this. That's the one with oh. uh, Daniel Kaluuya. Daniel Kaluuya and Lakeith Stanfield, yeah. And Jesse oh, Clemens. I might see that. That one I probably see in the theater. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. What are you basing that on? Because it looks really good. Yeah, yeah. And I can go to the theater in this this world. Okay. Fair enough. All right. Um, Tom and Jerry, <laughs> animated live action family nope. film. No, nope. absolutely uh, not. I won't even watch it at home. Okay, so that we're gonna put that as that at home. Okay, we have to answer all of them. Um, the Many Sa- Saints of Newark. That's an interesting one. I would definitely see that in a theater. See, I feel Which like I'd be that? ha- that's the prequel to The Sopranos. Oh, that would be a home for me. Oh, f- I'd probably have to watch The Sopranos first. <laughs> that would be a home for me. Um, like, all but right. Chapin, why in the theater? Because like, 
you watched all of the Sopranos, all whatever well, oh, seven so seasons at home. I'm sorry. Okay. Okay. God, he's so angry today. Um, no, I, my understanding is this is like the way it's normally laid out. So like, I'll get to see it earlier than if it were on video, right? Lee, or, or is it, is this day? And uh, date? No, this is because all of these are coming out in the theater at the same right, time as, right. as so you, you are picking one on the day it's oh, released. I'll see it at home. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, Reminiscence is a sci-fi romantic thriller uh, directed by co-showrunner of Westworld, Lisa Joy. It stars Hugh Jackman, Rebecca Ferguson, and Tani Newton. Sci-fi story about a scientist who discovers a way to relive your past. I'd have to... Uh, I'd probably home, I would say. Yeah. Okay. Tapin, you say home? Yeah. Okay. Godzilla versus Kong. Home. I mean, come on. No, cause that's a theater movie. I mean... I mean, as well, if we're going to see all these movies, you might as well see a monster action movie in the theater. Okay, I'll see oh. that in the theater if it's any good. If it gets good I'm reviews, I guess. Okay, we, we're, you guys are having a hard time with letting go of, like, the, is this movie good? I'm not going to see it anyway. <laughs> 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 uh, the Conjuring. No. Part home. 11. Home. That feels like a home to me. Yeah. Home. In the Heights is a musical. I'd see that in the theater. I'd Based like to see on the it. smash hit Broadway... Musical by Lin-Manuel Miranda. Yeah, I'd like to see that in a theater. Okay. Yeah, we'll go for, theater. Sure, sure, we'll go with that. Space Jam, A New Legacy. You know what? I'd kind of want to see that in a theater just because I saw the original in the theater. Yeah, Chapin? Sure, I'll go along with that. Okay. Uh, Suicide Squad. Home. Um, Chapin? Kind of lean theater for that. I would kind of lean theater for that, I, and I, I have a feeling it's going to be a lot better than the other one, but we'll see. All right, we're going to skip Dune because uh, we might not have the option. King Richard. This is the um, Will Smith movie where he plays uh, Venus and Serena Williams' dad. Uh, I, I think we get to that at home. Yep, I agree. Matrix 4. Theater. Yeah, I mean, I would say theater. I I am just not hopeful for that movie at all. But I know that's not I, the I'm, point. I'm not, I don't have real high hopes either. But yes, that's not the point. So we're going to say theater. Uh, Mortal Kombat. No. Home. Pass. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, home. Home pass. Chapin likes home because he can just be like, yeah, I'm watching it, guys. Yeah. Uh, I have it on right now. Uh, Malignant. Cut to him watching Cliffhanger for the eighth time. Malignant, a horror movie directed by James Wan. Um, uh, mysterious original horror film. This doesn't even say... Keeping the story under wraps. Okay, James Wan. Yeah, that's a home. Uh, Those Who Wish Me Dead. This is directed by, written and directed by Taylor Sheridan of Hell and High Water fame and Sicario screenwriter. Um, What's it called? Dramatic th- it's called uh, Those Who Wish Me Dead. Dramatic thriller. Teenage murder s- witness is pursued by twin I like assassins. The, I like that cast, Angelina Jolie and Nicholas Holt. Uh, yeah. And Littlefinger. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, Clint is just getting lazier and lazier. Cry Macho. <laughs> is that really what it... Yeah. It's based on a book, um, one-time rodeo star and horse breeder sets out to retrieve a man's young son from his alcoholic mother. Uh, written and directed I by definitely, Clint. It's Clint Eastwood. I'm going to see in the theater. Yeah. Okay. Hopefully, it's as and, good as. Uh, and that's it. So. Well, I, I, five, I'd also six, say like seven, the, I mean, the one on there that I would want to see most in theater would be Dune. So. 
All right. Well, Dune Dune would then be the tiebreaker because we have 16 movies. It's eight and eight. And if we had Dune in the theater, that's nine for the theater. So we split right down the middle. And I, that was kind of the point that I made when we were talking about this move initially that actually I think maybe even before it happened when we d- talked about how why can't why can't post-pandemic some of these studios just decide which one, movies are going to be more watched and more successful on a streaming service and which movies need to be released in a theater. I, well, I think that that's totally fair. I was going to say, I, th- I think, I, I don't know. I mean, it'd be interesting to see. I, I think the, the Wonder Woman 2 has gotten a pretty tepid response, at least compared to the first film. And I think, you know, what's interesting about the theatrical experience is that you can, you really do get a sense of like when a hit is a hit, you know, like, yeah. Uh, Wonder Woman, you know, opened really well, which is good, which shows some interest, but it also like had some legs. Um, (laughs) (laughs) some nice long ones, some nice long Israeli legs. And, and you know, it did really, it was like, it was kind of a surprise. And so you, you, you naturally grant, a sequel to that, of course, but like I, I, I was thinking about this, um, you know, back in the mid aughts, we got we got Superman Returns and and Batman were released by Batman Begins were released by Warner Brothers a year about a year apart, and um, Superman cost a lot more than Batman Begins, but Batman was a you know kind of a okay hit in theaters, but did really really well on video. I mean, it built an audience. You know, you have that mechanism of having the theatrical experience and then seeing how it performs, you know, in, in sort of the height of DVD and on video and see the sort of the way it pans out. Now these movies did roughly the same business, but they didn't make a sequel to Superman and decided to sort of double down on Batman. And I think, um, you know, that's really smart thinking from a studio perspective. Now, 15 years later with Warner brothers, I don't think these people are thinking, I mean, I'm sure they always were going to want to make a winter woman sequel had this, film done reasonably well or not, but I, I don't think you can kind of glean as much from, you know, a bunch of people watching Wonder, Bro- watching Wonder Woman on Christmas with their families at home from going out and, ex- you know, spending 15 or $20 and getting a babysitter, you know, to see it in the theater. I mean, I think that's a totally different experience. Like, I know I've been the one saying, put the shit out on get it out of the way, put the shit on, on, on streaming services. But you know, there's less you can learn about it. I think like, and also HBO isn't the expert here. It's, I mean, Netflix is the under, they have uh, presumably have all this data and know, you know, when things are going to hit and have a good understanding of that. I don't know that Warner brothers does, especially this decision, which was kind of a last minute one, as we know. Yeah. And what wonder woman had to its advantage was its audience was content starved at that point. Like right. people had run out of what they were watching on Netflix and HBO. And it was a the first big movie to make the leap. So it probably got extra eyeballs that it wouldn't have gotten. So to your it's point, Chapin, it's hard to tell with those numbers. It's interesting, Chapin, that you mentioned, what does that mean that Wonder Woman through is fast tracked? Because, you know, remember when Netflix said Bird Box was like the n- biggest movie they ever had? Remember, and everybody was like, "Okay, right. whatever sure, that okay, means. <laughs> sure." Like, the, and and it's true. Like, there's just no, there's no proof of this of the success of these movies. So you could make the argument that that you know Wonder Woman has done fine on HBO Max, but not what they wanted. So they're like, "It's been so good, we're fast tracking well, the third one." I, 
who who knows if they actually are and maybe that'll get people excited about the second one i mean and i totally understand what you're saying i don't doubt that but i don't doubt that wonder that wonder woman 1984 did really really well i wouldn't question these numbers i just don't think it's it's i don't think it's saying that much i think when when these movies do really well people go see them again a a couple different times in theaters people like to, to do that i think it just means more when it's a success on the theater when like as opposed to what jeremy was saying you know this was sort of long hyped people are sort of star for content we haven't seen a big superhero movie in a year and this was the only avenue to do that um i don't know i mean i think they were going to make a sequel regardless but yes the idea of fast tracking whatever that means i mean i think that means i would guess that means paying patty jenkins a lot of money to not do that star wars movie first i don't know what's do you know lee if if she's doing the wonder woman movie first is that what that means because otherwise i haven't heard anything three years i mean was she contract was she so was she already in contracts to do a third one she might have been i mean i I, i'm she said she had an idea and then there was like all the uh fallout from the hbo max deal and i think there was some weird drama between she and Warner Brothers, and then, I don't know. I mean, it, they seem to resolve it because now they're making a new one. That's what I heard. I, I'm not, like, terribly interested in that, but I just... I'm, I mean, I'm the Star Wars movie the... is not till 2023. Yeah, but you'd have to yeah, start working know. on that right and now. And she's got pre She's apparently in pre-production on Cleopatra, too, so I don't know. She's a busy woman. Well, they think that's going to be the one that was was get, was get is going to be canceled. Cleopatra is canceled great i I just it's like again i think when i was thinking about this stuff and 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 you know wanting it to be released on these streaming services i i you know i i think it's just because this is a unique situation i think there was a a unique vacuum for these films to get an audience and um you know, I, I listened to, and did you listen to the interview, Lee? I, I know you don't listen to the, that podcast as much, Jeremy, but uh, Paul Greengrass has an interesting, some interesting takes on um, the streaming stuff, too, and just how, like, he was talking about that movie you, you mentioned, Lee, the one he did about... Um, yeah, 22 July. 22 July, and it being on Netflix, and, you know, they shared the data with him, as they do with filmmakers, evidently, and, like, 30 million people had watched that movie, and, like... You know that's incredible for a, a movie of that subject matter, and again, we talked about this a right. global audience, and um, I think that's great. Like that's that to me was that was there was a vacuum. People wanted content. There were these movies that were in the can, and they needed an audience. And here you go. I think this is a unique time, and we're gonna move on from that. And I don't think you should draw these these companies should draw these conclude these like you know, industry changing conclusions from the performance of their films. Like I agree totally. And, and I, I hope that they're smart enough. I mean, I don't run a studio, but I hope these people who run it know that this is, these are extraordinary circumstances. Like, but again, this is the studio that thought it was a good idea to release tenant in September. So I don't know. Like they do feel, it does feel like they're, they're reacting, you know, like uh, immediately reacting to everything instead of taking a step back and assessing everything. Um, well, speaking of unique times and reacting to stuff like why I know we had had a little text chain going, but there are movies that are still coming out in theater. And I think that the, the answer to that was it's contractual, but who cares at this point? Why? Like, it seems like anything goes like, why not 
take movies like uh, No Nomad Land with Francis McDormand that everyone wants to see for the Oscars. Yeah, in the that's end of very the year frustrating. And yeah, throw it out of the on, world and promising you know, young there's woman a, and. Who's going to go see these in the theaters? I don't care if it's contractual. I'm sure Especially they can break Nomadland. it at this point. How many people are going to see Nomadland in the theater anyway? <laughs> so, I mean, maybe, I mean, this is an example of like, yeah, we are in unprecedented times with this sort of stuff. And you're going to get so many more eyeballs. And it's just, a, it's a win, win, win all the way around for especially movies like that. I don't get it. Yeah, but, I don't understand it. I, I mean, of all the movies that, are, are holding out Nomadland that was going to make $8 million or something <laughs> at the theater in its limited release. Um, and that may change. I mean, that's that's due to come out in theaters February 19th. Uh, it's a it's a front runner for a lot of Oscars. They're going to want people to see it. Yeah, you why know, Netflix uh, could just buy it it's Fox, and break it's, that contract. It's Fox Searchlight. I mean, so we, and we haven't heard a lot about what they're doing. So maybe they're just kind of biding their time and seeing how things pan out well, by the Fox time it's released. Fox doesn't exist anymore. It doesn't. Maybe it's, that's why. Yeah, it's, uh, it's yeah because they're the same. They're the same theater that uh, or the same production company that did New Mutants and which and they, had to be released. It, yeah, in the and there was, as it well. was the same issue. It was, it was these, there were these contractual. But, um, Here's a question issues. for you guys. Do you think these contractual issues will and should maybe fall to the wayside going forward? Because you can imagine a situation where, you know, if you've built this, I know it's kind of contrary to what I'm just saying, but if if you've, if the result of this pandemic is that people are more comfortable watching things at home, people are willing to spend more money at home, you know, in, in a crowded Oscar season, like, you know, we know we, we, we talked about this with like a hidden life, for example, and fixie Fixie season season. where there's all these movies that sometimes don't come to our little towns, (laughs) um, you know, right away. And so with a film like nomad land and, you know, any one of these other films in a crowded market where there's only so many movie theaters, throw it out, throw it out on digital, you know, see, see what get eyes on your movie. And I, I wonder if like, you could break, you could stop sort of saying, it's like, you know what, we're going to make the option. Yes, we have a plan to release it. Um, and, you know, but if, if we get to a point where we're thinking that it might not be a good idea, let's have the option to reroute this. And I mean, and, I, I, and throwing it, throwing it out on digital doesn't necessarily mean you're, you're giving it away for free either, because you look at like a movie like King of Staten Island or something where we unfortunately had to pay money for it, but we did anyhow, you know, like if, if, um, if Nomadland com- were to, you know, come out on Amazon and you had to pay eleven ninety nine to watch it or six ninety nine to rent it, I would do that in a heartbeat right now yeah. to see that movie. Completely. Um, so there's money to be made. It doesn't necessarily mean you just throw everything on Netflix or HBO and uh, and, and 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 you know people watch it for the price of their uh, subscription. Yeah, I think it's just I, I I think I don't know I I I think that studios are I mean obviously Warner Brothers made the move to put their movies on HBO max, but I think other studios are, are still wrestling with where they are in all this and how they're going to adjust. And as uh, every day that goes by their money, movies are losing money that aren't being seen by anybody as they try to decide their best options. And I think it's, I think it's kind of clear. Like, I think that (laughs) 
there's a lot of avenues they can take that will make them some money. And that was what Soderbergh said is like, you might lose a little bit of money, but you're going to lose a lot of money if you put it, try to wait and put it in theaters. And that's just the reality. And the faster they realize that, the, f- the sooner we'll get to see some of these movies. So I, selfishly, <laughs> let's, let's get on it. Yeah. But I mean, as these, as this, pandemic evolves and and changes i mean you know like when we when we talk, initially started talking about this and the vaccine was imminent you know we were thinking like oh maybe by april people will be back in the theaters but that seems like a that's, that's there's a no way that's going to happen and now and it's like the, the, you, you unfortunately this the way they've Hollywood has sort of trapped themselves and their deals with movie theaters. You know, they've got like this lead time that is just very difficult to be nimble around. And so, um, I don't know, maybe that'll go, you know, I don't know. It just, but, but I mean, what, what is the movie theater going to do if the studio breaks their contract with the movie theater at this point? I mean, sue them, I guess, but like, (laughs) and, and spend money that they don't have suing a studio that does still have money. I, I, I don't know. I, let's not get into all that, but um, I just think like, I, 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 sorry, theaters, like you're going to get the short end of the stick on this. It's just the facts, but. Well, yeah, I mean, and they're not alone. I mean, obviously, but uh, there's a lot of short ends. So. All right. On that note, on that depressing note that'll wrap up this edition of the get your film fix podcast on pixar's soul check us out on instagram email us at feedback at get your film fix let us know where you're listening to the podcast you get us on spotify itunes um tell your friends about the podcast we'd love that if everybody who listened just told one friend we We'd would double our you'd, listeners. You'd have one less friend after they listened. <laughs> um, and then tell one, and tell that friend to then follow us on Instagram because then that makes it easy to get an idea. We have more followers on Instagram than we have listeners, I think. But still, you know, people know we're out there. Oh no, that's gonna give it away. How many listeners we have? Shit. <laughs> uh, I can just buy like ten thousand followers real quick. Yes. <laughs> All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I'm staying. I'm finishing my coffee. Enjoying my coffee.